Well, here we go. Here it would be the third Tuesday, and that would bring us to a time when we're grateful to have the lovely and talented Dr. Ray, Ray Pete on the air on the third Tuesday. And as long as the ke- creeks don't rise, he said, we'll do it. He's a Ph.D., University of Oregon, specialization in physiology. Started working with hormones back in 68. Well, that's when I started uh, radio in 68 in Armed Forces Radio. He was starting his work on hormones. Wrote his dissertation in 72. He's got a great uh, newsletter that comes out a couple times a month. That You have a little link there on the show page as you can... Um, you can... Uh, get Dr. Pete's uh, newsletter and uh, it's great to talk to him from time to time if you have an email for him question patrick at oneradionetwork.com and out to the left coast Dr. Pete good morning good morning how are you doing there oh, very good it has started raining uh, winter weather setting in already uh-huh. you're, you're, in, you're in Oregon right uh, yeah uh huh you get a lot of rain there? Um, yeah, the the weather has been pretty variable, but uh, we're back to the old uh, continuous rain, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the ocean is warming up, and when that happens, we get extra rain. Uh, humid air condenses. I saw the... So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, uh, the, the nighttime rain is, is the traditional... Uh, northwest mm-hmm. uh, uh, weather, but we had been uh, changing uh, over the last 30 or 40 years until uh, it looked more like a, a Midwest climate. Uh, uh, summer rain and, and uh, drier winters, mm-hmm. but I think we're back to the old rain yeah. in the winter, night and winter. I saw with the farmer's almanac, uh, they use uh, sunspots, and they're predicting a a, war, a cold and woolly winter this year for a lot of the the country. We'll see how accurate that is. Uh, yeah, I, I think the sun and the submarine volcanoes are really uh, the important uh, thing changing the weather over the long term uh, rather than carbon dioxide. Yeah, Submar- submarine volcanoes? Uh, yeah, yeah they're, they're, the, the Pacific is uh, really... Uh, Pretty, pretty full of volcanoes that actually are uh, warming, warming the ocean, and they have cycles like sunspot cycles. Oh. So they put out a lot of heat down there, and they're going on, and we don't really know they're they're spitting up. Yeah, uh, and they're they're teeming with life, oh. uh, pr- pr- primitive life forms that can live at extremely high temperatures. Oh. And so when the, the so the ocean's warm, and that that causes all kinds of things to happen in the jet stream and change weather changes more dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it changes the ocean currents. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's hard to imagine the carbon dioxide is like the devil. I mean, we we don't we want to keep more carbon dioxide in us by not breathing uh, so fast. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. One of the uh, uh, anti-climate uh, change uh, people uh, says he, he, he gets up on a box and, mm-hmm. and lectures in London 
uh, he, he has a little sign that says, uh, carbon dioxide is the gas of life. <laughs> Many people believe that. Many people, gosh, how could you make it so, I don't know, it's so political stuff, who knows, right, what's going on with all that. Well, Dr. Ray Pete is probably one of the few well-known people, well-credentialed people that um, got milk. You know, he's got that little white mustache thing. And you've been drinking milk for a long time now, and you do good I, with it. I, yeah. Um, there, there were times, uh, like when I was living in Mexico City, when it was hard to get uh, good milk, uh, the, the rich people would send their maids out at dawn to buy up <laughs> all of the good milk. And yeah. so for uh, three or four years, I, I went very light on, on milk. But mm-hmm. uh, the rest of my life, I've been a big milk drinker. Yeah. Gallon, gallon a day. You still, you're still doing that much, a gallon a day? No, about two and a half quarts, I think, average mm-hmm. now. Wow. We had an Ayurvedic doctor on a couple of weeks ago. And she's a Ayurveda, as you know, you probably do know. They've been a great proponent of drinking milk for a long time, thousands of years, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, w- I want to read you something out of her book. I think you'll find it fun. Her name is uh, Marianne Tittlebaum. Tittlebaum. She's a DC, but we found her very, very just I don't know, very credible. She says dairy is perhaps the most misunderstood of all food groups. The ancient doctors said that every food you eat spends three to five days in each tissue before progressing to the next. There are, as discussed earlier, seven tissues, blood plasma, blood, muscle, fat, bone, bone marrow, and reproductive fluids. This means that the food you eat today can sometimes won't nourish everything, all seven tissues, for about a month or so. The only exception to the rules, milk. It nourishes all seven tissues in one day. This milk is seen as one of the most nourishing foods of all life. This is why babies can live exclusively off milk for the first year of their life. Do you think that's accurate with with the with the going through all the tissues like that in one day? Um, I think some of that is historical mm-hmm. met- metaphor, but yeah, uh, yeah. There, there is there is some basis to it. Undoubtedly, because it's now known that uh, every tissue has its rate of protein turnover, mm-hmm. uh, and, and as your nutrients change, uh, the, the food you eat uh, guides the turnover of the proteins so mm-hmm. that you get proteins uh, suitable for the type of food you're eating. Uh, and every tissue, like bone, is extremely slow to, to turn over its um, most of its substance, uh, your liver is very fast. The skin and intestine are extremely fast. Just a, a few days, and they're mm-hmm. completely remade. Um, and um, the heart has a, a slower rate of uh, protein turnover, but uh, everything—the mitochondria, the energy-producing uh, apparatus—is is churning over constantly. But at its own rate and I think in general the faster a tissue turns over uh, because it's kept warm and and well nourished and unstressed uh, uh, high stress will make you turn over your uh, thymus gland and, and muscles and skin very fast but in a destructive way but uh, a good warm well fed condition you do have a 
constant turnover and renewal of your tissues. It's like a streaming. Uh, new, t- new cells are being born as the old ones are being eaten up. Mm. Uh, and, and so you clean out the debris uh, at, a, at a regular uh, pace according to the tissue. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I agree with you. I think that uh, it's been my experience in the old Ayurvedic text, which obviously is where this came from, they began, at some point, they they often got off often very poetic, right? And very, you know, beautiful words. And they, they sometimes would expound a bit or maybe say, hmm, exaggerate a bit on the, the benefits of stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? And I, yeah, the historically, I think you, you, you nailed that. Not to say it's not true, but they, they were very poetic and philosophical and spiritual about the approaching of different things. And I know one thing that I read years ago, they're big fans of ghee rather than butter. And, and they, I read one book where this fellow said, this sage, well, if you have 100 year old ghee, it'll cure anything. You know, that kind of thing. They would make these kinds of statements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so I think your point is well taken about the historical, but, um, fascinating. Now, um, she's a big fan, and Ayurveda has always been a big fan of mm, not not a big fan, but actually saying this is the best way is to boil the milk, boil the milk uh, for several reasons. It I think it helps with the fat absorption, and also if you have raw milk, maybe gets rid of any little buggies. And they put cardamom and uh, cinnamon in there to help uh, mm, do some things that I'll find it in here. What about you? Do you do you think have you Found any uh, benefit in in the boiling milk? Have you ever done that? Oh, oh, sure. Living uh, outside of Mexico City, where uh, they have cows mm-hmm. or, or goats, uh, that's the custom. Uh, uh, every everyone uh, p- puts a, a big pot of of milk on in the morning and, and brings it to a boil, and mm-hmm. and that uh, usually they uh, skim off the fat that rises uh, and. Uh, make special dishes out of that or else feed it to the, the cats and chickens. <laughs> I wonder why you would do that. Wouldn't that fat be good? Uh, yeah, yeah, if a person likes it, they have yeah. dish, dishes and puddings and things that they make out of it to use it as, <laughs> a, as a sauce on tacos and such. Now, would there be any benefit to our listeners who can't have access to raw cows or goat's milk to boil like a unorganic grass-fed milk they could get at the Whole Foods or something? Would there... Uh, yeah, surprisingly, the, the damage nutritionally is very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, it oxidizes some of the vitamin A oh, cool. and a, a tiny bit of the vitamin C, but milk is still basically the best source of all of the nutrients uh, when you compare it to uh, for, for the number of calories and mm-hmm. protein in it. It, it uh, has all of the nutrients except iron. How about the cardamom and cinnamon thing? Any thoughts on that? Oh, um, they, they each has its uh, medical uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't been a big fan of them. I, I, uh, Mexicans put um, cinnamon on, on their chocolate yeah. drink generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. What about this A1 and A2 milk there that's been going around for years and Theoretically, the A2 milk, I guess, is supposed to be the most easily digestible. What is that from the, maybe the Germ- the Jerseys or the, or the Holsteins? No, see, no, A1 is found in the Holsteins, and uh, and then A2 is 
more in the Jerseys or the Guernseys? Uh, when I was little, we had a whole scene, and then uh, when I was uh, about uh, eight or nine, we got a Jersey, mm-hmm. which we had for 10 or 15 years, and uh, I don't really see any difference, and I think a lot of it is, is just uh, marketing sure. to, to sell something for a higher higher price if you have the, the right kind of cow. And Ayurveda says that the goat's milk is good, it's an excellent source, but it's just a little bit higher choice for cow's milk. Oh, that's interesting. Do you agree with that? Um, or do you know? Well, you have a theory, just opinion. my own preference yeah. is, is for cow's milk just because uh, I'm more familiar with that. When, mm-hmm. when I was in the first or second grade, we had a, a whole scene and the neighbors had goats and their goat milk was very strong smelling and, and so uh, I learned to prefer cow's milk but if you handle the goats right uh, the goat milk will taste as good as cow's milk mm-hmm. so that's you You say you're drinking a, a still a couple quarts a day that that must be a, uh, you find that's a lot of food for you and and uh, that, that provides a lot of your, your nutrition um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. milk has always, uh, the last uh, 40 years, has been the bulk of my daily food. Uh, when I would uh, drink a gallon a day, I would maybe have a, a couple of quarts of orange juice and some, some cheese or or sardines or uh, something for a supper snack and eggs for breakfast. And that keeps you going. That would keep you going without... Um Without losing, you know, keep keep your muscles going. Oh, oh sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. How about you now? Let's see. If I recall, um, your revolutions around the sun, which is all called, called age. You are eighty, eighty, eighty-three. Yeah, yeah, eighty. Well, in October, eighty-three. Eighty-three in October. Yeah, I'm going to be seventy-three revolutions in November. We're about ten years apart. Have you? What has your been your experience? I know you paint. Uh, uh, do you have to do other things? Have you found to keep your muscles from what's that word they use for? They always have a word. Doc. Um, sarcopenia. Sarcopenia. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Um, uh, yeah, I, I noticed uh, after about oh, ten years of uh, just sitting and studying, that my shoulders uh, got less rounded muscles mm-hmm. uh, I, I could see the, in photographs that my shoulder muscles were smaller because I wasn't working regularly but uh, just moving around my leg muscles have, have stayed huge uh, uh, after uh, oh, not going skiing for example for 10 years uh, someone told me that my, my leg muscles must be uh, getting getting weak from just sitting around reading all the time, but uh, I tested myself doing one-legged sit-ups, and uh, every ten years I would do ten one-legged sit-ups, and uh, I didn't notice a significant dropping off with time. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it for fifteen years, though. I don't know whether I could still do ten. Mm-hmm. Do you do any other any other kind of exercise regularly? 
I no, just every ten years I would test myself. <laughs> <laughs> How often do you exercise? Oh, every ten years. I knew. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you you like orange juice, huh? You still like orange juice? Oh, oh yeah. When when good stuff is available, mm-hmm. it, it should be thoroughly ripened. Uh, uh, the commercial stuff they they are used to selling unripe oranges, and so. If they accidentally get ripe oranges, they add acetic acid to it. Uh, a lot of the, the, for example, the concentrated or, or canned varieties uh, mm-hmm. very often have acid added, but mm-hmm. the acid etches the enamel off your teeth, so yeah. ripe oranges are, are safer in every way. Mm-hmm. So so you, you would want to rinse, rinse out your mouth with clear water after one's juice? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, clear water, maybe even uh, baking soda if it's very acidic. Mm-hmm. What do you What do you think about uh, taking baking soda regularly? Some people advocate that a quarter teaspoon or stuff. Do you think there's any value to that? Uh, yeah, I know people who do as much as as a teaspoon, two or three times a day, and mm-hmm. think it improves their uh, endurance and uh, strength. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, e- even a fourth of a teaspoon, two or three times a day, uh, people uh, uh, say that it, it helps um, reduce inflammation. Uh, and I know people who used to get uh, swollen legs when taking a long airplane trip. Uh, and um, mm-hmm. when when they took a teaspoon of baking soda in water uh, before getting on the plane, they stopped having the swollen feet. Well, what's going on there, do you? Can you... Uh Surmise what you think uh, metabolically is happening with the baking soda, sodium uh, bicarbonate. Uh, yeah, the the, um, the sodium uh, lowers your aldosterone uh, very quickly, uh, and aldosterone is a general stress hormone that tends to go up with cortisol, uh, which damages tissues. But aldosterone uh, has uh, uh, causes a shift towards inflammation and fibrosis so the the chronic elevation of aldosterone leads to heart disease and circulatory disease and kidney disease so chronic intake of a little extra sodium such as you get with uh, that uh, uh, small doses of baking soda that has a chronic uh, anti-stress effect keeping your aldosterone lower and that uh, lets you lose the sodium uh, fairly quickly. And the uh, bicarbonate part is quickly changed. Uh, There's an enzyme, carbonic anhydrase, that changes carbon dioxide to bicarbonate and bicarbonate back into carbon dioxide. And uh, at the surface of your cell, when you're losing the sodium through your kidneys, your cells change bicarbonate into uh, carbon dioxide, which uh, is more soluble in the living cell. Hmm. So it goes out of your blood more or less at the same rate that the sodium is leaving your blood. Bicarbonate into your cells, sodium out of your body. So what it amounts to is the same as breathing uh, a little extra carbon dioxide or uh, failing to hyperventilate 
and low thyroid people hyperventilate and blow away the carbon dioxide they should be keeping in their cells. Mm-hmm. And so the, the supplement of baking soda is imitating to a degree uh, the, the th- normal thyroid function, keeping your cells more charged with uh, carbon dioxide, which is a stabilizing thing that has tremendous ramifications uh, everywhere. It, uh, when you are at a high altitude, there's less oxygen, and the oxygen normally uh, is uh, in your lungs it exchanges with carbon dioxide. And so at sea level, high oxygen pressure pushes more carbon dioxide out of your blood. At a high altitude, the lower oxygen tension allows you to retain more carbon dioxide. Hmm. And people have less uh, uh, dementia, heart disease, and cancer at very high altitudes and live longer. Hmm. And that's... uh, very likely uh, mostly the effect of retaining the proper amount of carbon dioxide and so if you at at, uh, moderate altitude if you're breathing more carbon dioxide like uh, uh, adding adding a supplement uh, uh, it it can be with baking soda that extra carbon dioxide is uh, to some degree imitating a high altitude or a better thyroid functioning Fascinating. So, the low thyroid folks, um, do they tend to breathe more, have more breaths per minute, and then have less uh, carbon dioxide, which we know is good? Is that right? Well, relative to how much oxygen they need, Mm -hmm. because the oxygen requirement uh, is uh, very low in a low thyroid person, so they don't need to move very much air. Hmm. Uh, the, um, uh, like a, a quart of oxygen uh, will last a low thyroid person uh, uh, maybe minutes where a high thyroid person would be gone in seconds. Uh, uh, I, I've seen it in labs where we were uh, practicing doing the a basal metabolic rate test by a rate of consuming oxygen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, for example, uh, the, the typical old-fashioned machine contains uh, two liters of oxygen. And uh, I didn't know uh, that I was hyperthyroid. Uh, I didn't have any, any signs of hyperthyroidism, but in the standard test, I emptied the machine in half the allotted time. Uh, so it was uh, the, the uh, tracing on, on the uh, graph paper was almost a vertical line where hmm. it was supposed to be about a, a 45 degree angle to the right. Uh, and uh, according to uh, the standards, I was about four times uh, the, the normal oxygen consuming rate uh, which uh, the, the, a doctor would say oh that's dangerous hyperthyroidism but I was fine uh, no health problems at all very interesting do you do you put much stock in 
taking the, the temperature uh, to gauge thyroid function? Um, uh, yeah, uh, when, when you're producing energy at, at a high rate, say uh, 150% of, of the average, <clears throat> you're uh, maintaining your blood sugar level because you're using the sugar efficiently, not, not wasting any. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The hypothyroid person wastes sugar at a terrible rate because they aren't using oxygen properly. So if, if you're using uh, sugar efficiently, that means you don't experience hypoglycemia, and so you don't produce very much adrenaline to, to regulate your blood sugar. Uh, and so your, your uh, adrenaline level is low, um, uh, your, your stress level is low, uh, and everything... Uh, Meta- metabolically is running efficiently you're you're um, turning over your proteins but in a renewal way rather than a, a stress uh, produced way here's an email from from Beth about thyroid so I thought I'd throw it right in there Dr. Ray Pete do you think fluoride and chloride in a tap water and bromide in breads are having a major effect on our thyroid um, yeah, I didn't know they were still putting bromide in bread. I don't think they are generally, but maybe maybe this lady knows. Uh, yeah, yeah, it isn't good if if it's there. Uh, it should be avoided. Uh, and fluoride, I think uh, I w- was uh, f- for a while using uh, a supplement of T3 uh, thyroid, the active thyroid hormone, and uh, when I uh, would go to San Francisco or an area where they have fluoridated water, I would get a migraine headache. Hmm. And I, I looked up the amount of, of fluoride ions in water and the amount of uh, uh, T3, uh, uh, the, the number of uh, 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 the, uh, potential sites for the fluoride to stick to, and a, a glass of, of um, fluoridated water is enough to knock out a day's portion of the active thyroid hormone. And wow. Since I was using that active thyroid hormone, it was very quick and very noticeable that if I drank fluoridated water, for example, in my coffee or orange juice, I would get a migraine from extreme hypothyroidism. Cynthia writes in, I take 60 milligrams, one grain of uh, natural thyroid every day. It seems my TSH levels are, are normal, one or two. My doctor likes that. Does Dr. Pete think that if I just keep doing this, that my thyroid will never be able to make this what it needs to do on its own? I've, uh, I've seen uh, several people who were hypothyroid who, when they took the amount that brought their oxygen consumption up to the right level uh, had recovery of their own thyroid function and could stop taking it. It doesn't happen very often, but I've seen several people who cured their low thyroid by supplementing thyroid. So explain what you mean, getting the oxygen level. How do we know? How would you um, know? 
Uh, well, if you're um, uh, sick with with low thyroid, you, you have a, a variety of, of symptoms, uh, and uh, these in, individuals uh, responded to supplementing their thyroid the way any hypothyroid person does. But in in a few cases, uh, they were able to uh, maintain their metabolic rate and stop taking the thyroid because the the thyroid had restored the, the supplement had restored their uh, uh, anti-stress metabolism, hmm. lowered the adrenaline uh, and cortisol, uh, and uh, uh, allowed the tissue to um, start metabolizing. By itself and producing its own own thyroid, but usually a person's body is loaded up with anti-thyroid substances, uh, polyunsaturated fats built right into the the structure of the cell. Not not only in the fat tissue, but in in their muscles and uh, brain and so on. Uh, especially a- after the age of twenty, the tissues start. Uh, building polyunsaturated fats right into the structure and when you're under stress you release some of those polyunsaturated fats into your bloodstream where they interfere with thyroid function <clears throat> so the average person uh, in their 20s or 30s or older uh, needs to um, if they're hypothyroid they uh, benefit from taking a, a supplement for at least a few years until they can change the composition of their body. Hmm. Are they better off to take the lowest possible amount when they're doing that? I mean, just to to, um, to, to make it work, to help it make it work on its own? Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if, if you happen to take too much, you'll uh, get breathless, huh. consume too much oxygen, uh, I've done it many times, and uh, just standing up to answer the telephone, I would start panting and uh, <laughs> had to cut back on my thyroid. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've seen people, well, on myself, for example, uh, I, when I was judging just by how I felt, I would supplement the thyroid. Uh, and one morning I noticed I had dents in my throat beside my Adam's apple. Uh, where the thyroid gland had been uh, about and about the size of my finger uh, pressed into my throat, and I realized I had shrunk my thyroid gland. Uh, so I stopped taking the the quick-acting T3. The next morning, my neck was smooth. Hmm. Wow! Uh, and I've seen several people who were uh, taking too much thyroid and uh, shrank their gland, and. In just one or two days, uh, it comes back massively. If one is taking some thyroid meds, as we call them, um, what's what's the role of taking supplemental iodine if you're not taking a, a thyroid, or if you are? Um, uh, foods such as milk and eggs always contain thyroid, even though seafood is the, the known reliable source. Hmm. Uh, of trace minerals, selenium and iodine particularly, but uh, since uh, thyroid is a fertility hormone, uh, animals can't produce eggs and milk 
if they're very hypothyroid. So uh, you're assured that milk and and eggs will always contain some iodine and some uh, equivalent uh, uh, thyroid-supporting substance. Uh, So uh, uh, there was a study back when uh, iodine was sometimes uh, used as a dough conditioner instead of bromine. And uh, at that time, the average American diet contained several times the uh, ideal amount of iodine. Uh, And uh, it has been about 60 or 70 years uh, since there were hypothyroid, low iodine uh, areas in the United States, like the Great Lakes region was a famous greater belt. But since... uh, food technology has started using so much iodine there hasn't been any uh, uh, iodine deficiency zone in the U.S. and what happens if you take even twice uh, two two or three or four times the amount needed by the body you start interfering uh, with the function of the gland Uh, and uh, uh, often people supplement more than a milligram up to as much as 10 milligrams a day and that seriously damages the thyroid I uh, every couple of months hear from someone who has damaged their thyroid by taking several milligrams a day of of iodine is that a lot milligrams I know Uh, yeah the required amount is about a tenth uh, to a fifth of of a milligram per day and uh taking a half a milligram per day uh, chronically looking at a big population uh, that's enough to uh, uh, increase the incidence of thyroiditis and eventually mm-hmm. thyroid cancer. So it sounds like what I'm hearing you saying that with some good foods, milk or eggs and that we're going to get pl- our fish, we're going to get pl- we're going to get enough. Uh, I, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and and it's seriously dangerous in the long run to uh, supplement too much iodine. Yeah, yeah. I do really well, and I, others have too, they've mentioned with this, uh, you know, the salmon you, you can get, you know, the little thin slices. What do you call that? I guess smoked salmon and things like You think that's a generally good food? Uh, yeah, it's nutritious, but uh, you can overload on polyunsaturated fat if you eat salmon all the time. Oh, there's poofas in salmon? Oh, oh yeah, a lot, a lot of poofa. Really? What are they doing there? I thought that's a fish. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, the, the cold water fish eat algae. Oh. And the al- algae is the source of of, uh, of, of the poofas. Poofa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, you tend to you like to gravitate more towards a warm water fish. Uh, uh, yeah, as far as it's available, <laughs> but... Uh, a small amount. There are some low-fat fish that come from pretty cold waters. Uh, cod and uh, uh, sole are the lowest-fat fish that I know of, and I think they're they're safer than salmon if you're going to eat fish every week. Oh, really? Okay. Can you stay right there? Uh, we're going to take a little break here. Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, one of the most powerful antioxidants ever is uh, actually bronze gas. Well, hydrogen 
and the machine that we have, the AquaCure machine, is makes Brown's gas, which is it's it's kind of different than actual molecular hydrogen, Brown's gas, and that's what George's machine makes, the one that we promote. It's very quiet, and you can bubble in the water and then breathe it, and they have a whole little setup there, which is digital, and depending on your body weight, you know exactly how much to put in there. You just dial that in, and when you do just the water, you can just dial in 100% of the Brown's gas going into the water, drink the water, and then if you're going to drink it and make water at the same time, it's fine, because You'll, you'll still make plenty of hydrogen in the water. It's just a, it's a fascinating, um, most abundant, uh, just gas or thing in, thing in, in the universe. Um, um, hydrogen, it's just like, I think 96% of everything that's out there. Just, it's a, and, uh, so we have a great little machine, uh, that we promote. And if you use promo code one radio, you get a 10% and look upon it as an investment in your health. They're a couple thousand bucks, but this thing has got a lifetime warranty, lifetime warranty, and also um, uh, a one-year, no questions asked money back if you don't like it. Now, that's pretty cool. Lots of safety features that most of the hydrogen Brown's gas machines do not have, and that's it's important because hydrogen, molecular hydrogen, and making Brown's gas, uh, it's a very... Uh, energetic substance, let me put it like that. I mean, you can do hydrogen cars and hydrogen whatever. Um, you know, it's very, it's so volatile, so you got to be careful with it. But uh, uh, your body likes it. It's one of the biggest antioxidants and anti-inflammatory. Good things are going in my body with lower inflammation. I can feel it. Uh, I can just feel it. I don't know why. I just feel more comfortable in my body uh, after breathing this guy. Just It's a nice thing and uh, here's more on it from George, who makes the machine. This was previously with George Wiseman about his AquaCure machine making hydrogen, gas, and water out of the same hose. Listen. The body accepts that gas and uses it to heal everything. It's like the fountain of youth. It's a, astonishing the amount of ailments. In fact, in scientific studies, and they have over a 1,000 scientific studies now, they are showing that it either helps the body heal directly or indirectly from virtually every ailment that ails any water-based life form. But it works just as well on animals and plants and lizards and birds and everybody. And you're saying this because this machine called the AquaCure split into five different parts. Six. I got hydrogen, oxygen, electro, enhanced water, water vapors, monoatomic hydrogen. What else? And monatomic oxygen. Oh, the monooxygen. And that's what your machine does? It splits it? Yes, it, it makes that mixture inside the machine, and all that comes out a single hose, the same hose. A gas? As a gas, in gaseous form, yes. And you breathe it or you put it in water? So if you bubble the Brown's gas into this water, yeah. into, let's say, distilled water, it will go to a negative ORP. And when you drink that, it actually gives your body an, an electrical energy, this, these electrons. Instead of sucking energy from you, it gives it. So you can have water that is healthful and not healthful just by the energy that's in the water. You want to get one? Me too. Ours is on the way. Check this out. Lifetime warranty on the machine itself, and then a one-year, no questions asked, money-back guarantee if you don't, if you like the machine within a year. I mean, have you ever heard of a warranty like that? The AquaCure. Use promo code 1RADIO, promo code 1RADIO for a 10% discount. It's in our store on oneradionetwork.com.
And keep in mind the idea of dehydration is really the lack of uh, hydrogen. Dehydration really helps your body to become hydrated. Really nice machines. Wayne Blakely is with us, and he makes the Living Streams products. There's two different bifidos. Let's talk about the, the straight product that is bifido, and then there's bifido too. What is the bifido used for? The bifido is used as a probiotic nutrient, which has curcumin in it and turmeric in it, which has certain minerals and nutrients in it that helps the body, especially absorption of your food. Curcumin is the most researched supplement in the world. The researchers don't really understand how curcumin works in the body. And curcumin is very hard to digest in the digestive tract. So we pre-digest the curcumin, which has, we buy our, pro, our curcumin from India because it has a mineral in it called yttrium. And we use the bacteria to break down the yttrium, the correct bacteria to break down the yttrium so our body can assimilate it so we can absorb our food correctly and it stops plaque in the body. Pretty cool stuff, isn't it? Wayne's on it. And the uh, lack of bacteria in the soil in this country is the whole issue why yttrium is in short supply. Very unique products. Living Streams. He's talking about the Bifido, and it's in our store on OneRadioNetwork.com. The Ayurveda lady that uh, was on the show, we're going to have her back on uh, uh, Dr. Teitelbaum, she was really, uh, really big on um, Moringa, too, as, as a, an incredible tree, nutrient, herb, whatever you want to call it. And and uh, if you want to get a real natural way, full-fledged way, uh, Wayne has a Moringa product that's in a probiotic, very easy to absorb, and you get a big bottle of it, and you can just, you can drink a lot of it, and Moringa, it's pretty amazing what's going on with Moringa. So fun things are all in our store excuse me all in our store on one radio network had to cough there um, if you would like to get more information you can talk to Wayne's protege or helper Marilyn 360-912-2981 360-912-2981 she can give you more insights on this or that or you know what what is good for uh, we have some things for perimenopause and Wayne, Wayne's very careful he doesn't say a lot of stuff because oh you know the FDNA they get all carried away can't make any claims and, and I understand so but Marilyn can give you some information she doesn't do medical advice neither do I or nobody on our on our guest list ever do medical advice it's all up to you but anyway these probiotics work like probiotics are supposed to Living Streams, OneRadioNetwork.com. We talk about your health, wealth, and well-being on OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, it's an honor to have Dr. Ray Pete on our uh, show, and he's consented to uh, to come on on the third Tuesday, and we're here. So, Dr. Pete, thanks you, uh, thanks so much for coming on from time to time. People, people like you. Oh. <laughs> people, people like you. You're, you're, you're a rock star around here. They just like you. Um, what do you know about vasal, vagal, uh, S-Y-N-C-O-P-E? An emailer is talking about the vagus nerve gets activated due to stressors. The heart rate slows. Blood pressure drops. 
Blood vessels in the legs can dilate. The blood pools in the lower part flowing to the brain and uh, maybe nausea and things like that. And this lady, Mona, wants to know that what besides the stressor is causing the vagus nerve to react so there is, has to be more to it than simply being a response to being hot, emotional, scared when in a normal life setting. Hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, low thyroid people tend in that direction. Oh. Uh, and I, I wrote some newsletters a few years ago on on shock uh, and uh, uh, the, the history of, of shock goes back a, a few hundred years, but uh, uh, it really uh, uh, became a, a, a major uh, aspect of physiology mm-hmm. uh, just a, a little over a hundred years ago, beginning of the 20th century, uh, when uh, uh, one of one of the pioneers was George Washington Crile, whose uh, uh, son at the Cleveland Clinic, which was founded by uh, G. W. Crile the first. Mm. Uh, the son was a pioneer in uh, uh, both thyroid uh, therapy and uh, breast cancer treatment. Uh-huh. He innovated the lumpectomy rather than the horrible radical mastectomy, and he practically eliminated uh, thyroid surgery. Went from uh, over a thousand surgeries a year in the clinic to uh, uh, just a, a about a dozen by understanding how the thyroid uh, can be treated. But his father was was the real pioneer uh, that led to that understanding of the thyroid. And uh, his uh, thyroid work grew out of his uh, surgical uh, experiments in which he uh, really explained uh, more than anyone else what shock is and how the vagus nerve governs uh, shock and uh, what happens in shock is that signals are sent to all of your body cells turning off the ability to use oxygen and and the use of oxygen is is what thyroid is in control of uh, the more thyroid you have the more oxygen your cells can use uh, and uh, within a a broad range, uh, that means that your metabolism becomes more and more efficient as you use more oxygen. Uh, So the the low thyroid person is wasting their their energy. But uh, in in shock, it's even worse than hypothyroidism. Uh, It simply turns off the, the mechanism for burning for using oxygen and burning any fuel, hmm. and uh, so it, it imitates death basically. Uh, when when a, a person in shock is cut, uh, their blood uh, stays bright red. Uh, they aren't using the oxygen in their blood because the tissue is is simply switched off uh, metabolically. It's like uh, uh, turning off uh, thyroid in a, a nervous or electrical way rather than a, a chemical way. And the, the um, uh, George Washington Crile uh, showed that uh, s- stimulating the vagus nerve 
uh, was the basic signal for turning on shock, uh, mm. whether it was caused by loss of blood or, or pain or fright or whatever. Uh, the, the signals through the vagus system uh, were able to switch off basically the life process temporarily. And uh, that process is easier to uh, trigger uh, the lower your thyroid function is. Uh, you become more of a vagal organism uh, when your thyroid is lower. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, people generally, uh, if they're going to uh, keep functioning at all, they compensate for that uh, exaggerated activity of the vagal nervous system by pumping out extra adrenaline. Mm -hmm. Their, their mm -hmm. adrenal glands become overactive uh, and they run as much as 40 or 50 times the normal amount of adrenaline production compensating for that hmm. abnormal hmm. activity of the vagal opposing system. The parasympathetic wow. system is the vagal system and the, the adrenaline system is the sympathetic nervous system. And uh, so uh, surprisingly, uh, many people are running with both sides of their uh, autonomic nervous system running at an extremely high rate uh, and if some, something interferes with with their production of adrenaline and, and sympathetic activity then uh, they drop into the vagal state and uh, uh, move toward shock faint, fainting for example My God. Wow, a lot of questions there so this uh, Kyle, is that K-Y-L-E and this work seems it kind of feels like this is long ago. I, I, I didn't understand the question. Kyle, uh, this work with uh, G.W. Kyle, was this long oh, ago? Kyle, C-R-I-L-E. Oh, C-R-I-L-E. Oh, Carl, okay. Carl. yeah. Long time ago? Yeah, the senior Kyle died, I think, in the 1940s, and the junior died... Not long ago, in the nineties, I mm -hmm, think. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and what did he do to lower the all this these surgeries that he went from thousands to a handful? What did he do? Oh, um, um, supplementing thyroid, basically. Oh, he just gave um, supplemental thyroid. <laughs> yeah, things they were uh, uh, calling uh, thyroid cancer. Mm -hmm. It was just a minor condition that he could turn off. Uh, just by giving them a, a full replacement dose of thyroid. Hmm, really? Was uh, he using TSH and all that as a uh, metric? Uh, uh, no, not at all. No. Uh, t TSH uh, measurement uh, came in uh, later, really, mm -hmm. and, and he was measuring it enough to uh, realize that uh, people developing these symptoms of thyroid cancer, nodules and so on, were uh, experiencing the same condition that iodine supplementers experience with a very high TSH. And uh, hmm. so he understood that TSH was driving uh, towards thyroiditis and eventually thyroid cancer. And so he would give uh, usually three or four grains of armor thyroid 
uh, sufficient to lower the TSH to zero. And then these people uh, without thyroidectomy uh, or maybe just partial removal of of the cancerous part uh, would uh, live a normal life just uh, keeping their TSH down so that any surviving cancer cells wouldn't be stimulated by the TSH. My goodness. Three or four grains. Now, a grain is 16 milligrams. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? Um, Well, two grains was the average dose for just the -the run-of-the-mill low-thyroid middle-aged person. But Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, uh, just to uh, have good functioning, uh, some people uh, took uh, three or four or even five grains. The, The armor company uh, sold tablets of five grains. Really? And veter- veterinarians uh, found that that was the right dose for uh, uh, cocker spaniels <laughs> and a uh, 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 couple couple of breeds of dogs needed about five grains a day. And and uh, quite, a, quite a few people, they, they sold bottles of, of uh, I think it was uh, 500 five-grain tablets for $10 or so. Hmm. Uh, And I've seen a a few people who needed more than five grains, uh, 10 or 15 grains a day to uh, cure their problem, and then they would uh, settle in on four or five grains a day for maintenance. My goodness, it seems like a very high dose what we hear around, but I guess... uh, So how how did this Carlisle, how did he judge... The, the dosage if he wasn't using the labs uh, oh um, uh, the basal metabolic rate was, uh-huh. was still in use use uh, oh. mm-hmm. through through the 1940s and into the 50s mm-hmm. then the uh, chemical <laughs> the first test was a blood test called uh, uh, protein bound iodine mm-hmm. came in uh, just around the same time that uh, Synthroid came on the market. Oh, sure, yeah. And, and <laughs> the, the uh, it turned out twenty years later that it was an absolute meaning meaningless oh. thing. Uh, but at the time, I was in junior high at the time, and uh, several of my fat friends uh, said they had learned uh, that they didn't have a glandular problem because the the protein bound iodine showed that they had a fully normal amount of protein-bound iodine in their blood, and so they had discovered that they were just gluttonous. <laughs> so they brought yeah. the, they brought this med thing out right when the Synthroid came out. I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the test. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, wow. it really was, was part of a marketing system. <laughs> Those rascals. Oh. What they did was, was blame the problem on the yeah. patient sure. rather than uh, supplementing uh, with Armour Thyroid, which was a good reliable product. My goodness. So back to Mona who brought up the so Vegas. So she she might have um on both ends working overtime with the sympathetic with the Vegas and then the adrenaline, right? How would then how do you lower all that down? Is it is it just um, looking after Mr. Thyroid? Uh, using your temperature and pulse rate, you uh, can Oh. you can come fairly close to the old uh, oxygen consumption hmm. test which that's still the ideal way to uh, prove hypothyroidism, but you can make a very good guess by 
taking your temperature before you get out of bed in the mm-hmm. morning mm-hmm. and checking your pulse rate at the same time. Mm-hmm. If you're, uh, uh, lots of the low thyroid people are running on high adrenaline, which rises during the night, uh, and uh, that tends to push up the cortisol. Uh, the adrenaline sometimes will cause uh, 90 or 100 beats per minute heart rate when you're waking up, sometimes following a nightmare. And if the cortisol goes up uh, higher than average, it always tends to rise around dawn. But the uh, the higher your cortisol rises, the higher your waking temperature will be. Uh, uh, the adrenaline speeds your pulse at dawn. The cortisol uh, uh, raises the temperature and helps to push the, t- the heart rate back down by bringing uh, your blood sugar up. So uh, just that one measurement can be ambiguous, high adrenaline, high cortisol, yeah. or oh, low, yeah. both of them. But, but if you then take your uh, temperature and pulse rate an hour or two after eating, mm-hmm. the, the food will lower your adrenaline, and the daylight and food will lower your cortisol. And uh, very often these people who woke up uh, seeming to have a very normal uh, 75 beats per minute pulse rate mm-hmm. and a 98 degree temperature, mm-hmm. these people will sometimes drop to a 55 or 60 pulse rate and a 96 or 97 degree temperature at 11 o'clock in the morning. And what does that tell you if that happens? That they're super low thyroid. Ah, okay. So so the Broda Barnes thing wasn't kind of sort of right. I mean, if you had a 98, you know, according to Broda Barnes, and you were good, but this whole adrenaline and cortisol thing, you're saying that maybe not. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, mm. you, it, um, mm. I, I, in a... Uh, hot, humid summers in Eugene, uh, I uh, first started questioning uh, Barnes's uh, temperature measurement. He worked at uh, uh, Fort Collins, Colorado, where it never gets very hot and humid uh, for very uh, long. And I saw that uh, uh, people in this hot and humid weather, even very hypothyroid people, kept a normal temperature. But uh, usually with the normal temperature, they would get a, a slow pulse rate. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, adding the two together, but then I saw that a very uh, stressful nighttime would uh, make both of the indicators sometimes look normal at, at dawn or, or waking, uh, and then they would uh, go down on a cool uh, mid-morning or afternoon that's fascinating. That's a very, very, very interesting. So you have mentioned before that folks, if they they want to start taking a, a thyroid, uh, that they start slow and do it maybe even half a grain or something for a couple of weeks, and so that you think that's a good idea to get the body kind of used to it. Um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that is a traditional way to uh, mm-hmm. uh, stay on. Ideally, a month, because uh, your adrenaline and cortisol are going to uh, come down as the thyroid comes up. So 
at two weeks you might seem just right and then you're, you start slowing down again uh, when you, your adrenaline comes down towards normal. So maybe 30 so, grains, a half of a tab might be a good thing for a few weeks or a month. Uh, yeah. yeah, and watching watching those measurements because it, it's like a, a, a sawtooth pattern. Mm-hmm. You you rise to normal, and then your hormones adjust, and you slip back, and then you increase the dose and rise to normal for a while. And then, if you normalize your adrenaline and lower your stress, uh, then you your metabolism slows down again for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's why if you do both, you can kind of gauge. So what you want is after an hour after eating, around eleven or so, you want you would the the ideal would then be the uh, more ninety eight temp and uh, and uh, more higher pulse rate. Yeah, eighty mm-hmm. or eighty five uh, in the middle of the day is a good pulse rate. Wow, uh, seventy five at least, and uh, eighty five or ninety is okay, uh, and the temperature. Uh, 98 to 98 and a half. So could you diagnose for Patrick here? I'm like 60 all the time. just doesn't change. I mean, it seems fine to me. For me, Doc, if I had 75, I would think I'd be like total anxiety or something. Oh, oh no. The, no? Uh, uh, the, the thyroid, one of the things it does by lowering the stress hormones, mm-hmm. uh, you feel more and more relaxed and uh, but the higher pulse sleep. rate. Ah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, how you feel is a good indicator. You don't want to push it into the anxiety because that means you're sure. turning on your stress. Sure, sure. Uh, and uh, uh, serotonin uh, is uh, uh, an additional complicating factor. That the, the vagal system and the adrenaline system uh, is one complication of interpreting thyroid function, but the, the serotonin also tends to go down as your thyroid comes up. And the serotonin is a promoter of hyperventilation. Hmm. And so uh, uh, the uh, low uh, blood glucose, low oxygen consumption person uh, often will uh, have a, a, an actual uh, hyperventilation driven by the uh, increased serotonin, and that serotonin disturbs both your adrenal mineral regulation and your parathyroid hormone. Wow! It, it drives your your parathyroid hormone up, and uh, that is worse if you're low low in either calcium intake or low in vitamin D, uh, and that that's why I talk a lot about uh, calcium and vitamin D in relation to thyroid because uh, low thyroid means usually higher serotonin activity, hyperventilation, disturbed uh, calcium metabolism and, and uh, uh, dependence, need need for more vitamin D. We talked a bit about dopamine last hour. How does dopamine play into the whole, what we've just talked about the last 10 minutes, dopamine? It, it's... Uh, Similar to um, uh, the adrenaline or sympathetic nervous uh, opposition to the uh, shock uh, tendency of, of the vagal parasympathetic mm-hmm. system, it's the, the body's uh, balancing factor for serotonin. I see. Uh, 
the uh, you, you can get too much of both of those, and you get symptoms like nightmares and uh, uh, insomnia. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, insomnia yeah. and uh, uh, the uh, water and salt regulation become a problem uh, when those go up. Uh, so you want to uh, keep your your serotonin down and under control, and then your, your dopamine will uh, take care of, of keeping things in balance, mm-hmm. usually. So on the shock idea, you're talking about could be a traumatic event in someone's life. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, that an, kind an of emotion- a... Yeah, yeah a, an mm-hmm. emotional mm-hmm. Uh, shock will will turn off Hmm. Your your thyroid function uh, and uh, uh, all of those other uh, the adrenals and the parathyroid uh, system uh, tend to uh, get get out of control uh, as your thyroid goes down. I wonder why though, after you get over the shock and you forgive the shock person and all that, and spiritually and emotionally, that the the you know these thyroid wouldn't start just get its act together without the the meds. I, I think that's because of the tissues having uh, been slightly deranged by storing oh. a PUFA in their <laughs> fats. <laughs> and uh, usually, uh, young people can take a, a big shock better than yeah. uh, people in their thirties and forties when their tissues are uh, uh, destabilized by the by the fat. Uh, the the uh, uh, an emotional upset will more reliably uh, cause uh, a chronic thyroid problem in a person in their 30s than in their teens. Dr. Ray Pete is with us. Um, Oh, that's my dog there just shaking. Uh, Hi, Doodle. Say hi to Dr. Pete. Um, Dr. Ray Pete is with us, and uh, you can see on the show page there where he has a a bi-monthly newsletter every couple months, and very, very affordable. You can click on there and sign up and get some cool stuff and help support him so he can buy paints and stuff. You know, he doesn't... It's good to have a little stuff coming in here. Um, So, here's one for you. This is pretty fun. What's more effective, eating a whole orange, drinking its juice, or eating marmalade? (laughs) Um, The marmalade has the uh, extract of the peeling, uh, which... uh, has a lot of therapeutic things. Uh, I, I haven't seen any real comparisons, but uh, people occasionally have advocated eating the peeling raw, but uh, that's extremely hard on the stomach. Uh, and cooking the peeling uh, extracts uh, some of the uh, anti-inflammatory uh, protective things. Neuringin and neuringin are, are major uh, protective factors in the orange peeling that you get in the marmalade, uh, and uh, the added sugar is, is an added uh, an anti-stress factor that supports your thyroid. But uh, uh, I, ideally, uh, the juice you can get uh, all of those good things. Uh, the in in the absence of, of good orange juice, marmalade is a kind of a medical uh, substitute. Uh, and uh, if you if you have good oranges, uh, you you wouldn't want to eat the, the number of oranges it takes to make a gallon of orange juice. But 
it's fine to drink a gallon of orange juice in hot weather, but uh, wow. all of that, all of the fiber in in an orange would probably be a burden to your mm-hmm. digestive system. Here's a good one. Would you uh, ask? Um, I experience malabsorption. That no matter what or how much I eat, I stay underweight. Symptoms like gnawing, ulcer type pain that flares up at night to cause insomnia, and eating iron rich foods like organ meats, which were previously well tolerated, now exacerbate this pain. So, getting some pain at night, ulcer type pain at night, and can't seem to gain weight, can you gauge what might be going on for this person? Um, my personal experience uh, and knowing uh, half a dozen uh, other people, usually men, uh, in their uh, 20s and and 30s, uh, some individuals can uh, eat several thousand calories a day uh, without gaining weight. Uh, I've known people who who, uh, weighed, uh, for normal height, weighed uh, 130, 140 pounds, very, very skinny, mm-hmm. uh, who were eating three or 4,000 calories a day. And uh, based on my own experience, uh, when I first supplemented thyroid, I, I was uh, uh, in my late 30s, I think, suddenly I didn't need to eat so much. Uh, my calorie requirement dropped in half simply by adding thyroid. Uh, and so I suggested that to these skinny men who were eating three or 4,000 calories and staying very skinny. Uh, suddenly they had the same experience. Uh, they didn't have to eat more, but suddenly they put on muscle. Ah. And that shows that thyroid is an anabolic hormone when it's in the right balance. Uh, but... Uh, if it's deficient and you're running on adrenaline, your cells know that the energy isn't being produced in the right way. It's being produced by the stress of adrenaline. So you're burning calories under the influence of adrenaline because the cells can't retain the magnesium that stabilizes the energy level of the cell. Uh, your, your thyroid can be making you uh, use the oxygen and produce the ATP and uh, be fairly efficient in, in those ways. But in the absence of a certain amount of thyroid, your cells lose magnesium, and so they have to make the ATP again. So you're making ATP at a high rate, but losing because it breaks down in the absence of magnesium. And supplementing magnesium for about an hour will relax and stabilize the cells, but you need a certain amount of thyroid to make the cells retain it and stay in that efficient, relaxed condition. And it's it's a matter of letting your cells relax so that they can build themselves up instead of being constantly running and stressing themselves. Uh, so uh, that, that's where the uh, thyroid is visibly a, a very powerful anabolic hormone. Anabol- so that's a little counterintuitive because 
isn't often hypothyroidism um, connected with uh, overweight? Uh, very often, but if you look at the old textbooks, mm-hmm. uh, they at the beginning of thyroid surgery they <laughs> forgot to replace the the thyroid hormone with, with a powdered or or squashed up animal thyroid gland and when a person's thyroid gland was removed they went into cachexia uh, they looked like a, an advanced cancer patient worse than sarcopenia uh, wow. sarcopenia to an extreme yeah. degree mm-hmm. they wasted away mm. in the absence of the thyroid hormone mm. and that's that's what's happening to these uh, often uh, young or middle-aged men uh, who are just moderately hypothyroid, but it's enough to move them into that uh, cachectic or sarcopenic state of not being able to build their muscle fast enough. That's really interesting. Uh, this is from Cindy. She's in Alabama. I've been told that when a person has Hashimoto's or other autoimmune issues, they should not use natural desiccated thyroid medications such as Armour or Nasothroid because the body will attack these because they are natural, question mark. The body supposedly does not attack the synthetic medication like Synthroid, and I prefer not to use the synthetic. What is your view on this? The um, autoimmune so-called condition is uh, uh, an excited, inefficient state, like when the cell can't retain magnesium, it stays in an excited state. And uh, if there's a hormone additionally increasing the excitation, like TSH, uh, stimulates the thyroid gland. And if it gets the the nutrients it needs to to make the hormone in the right balance, not too much iodine, uh, then the cell is energized and works if something is lacking so it can't produce the thyroid hormone the TSH keeps rising stimulating it more uh, driving it harder uh, stressing it more until it is killing the cells causing thyroiditis and in a condition of inflammation your immune system comes in uh, to activate uh, uh, the uh, uh, turnover, the the phagocytosis of the damaged, overexcited, overstressed cells. Uh, The the immune system is clearing up a damaged tissue, and that has been uh, experimentally uh, shown several times that, uh, for example, uh, in artificially inflamed uh, brains in animals, uh, uh, they find that what what they thought was uh, autoimmune inflammation of the brain caused by a virus or or some external cause was actually being remedied by the immune system if they removed uh, that so-called autoimmune antibody, uh, the inflammation killed the animal. Hmm. Uh, the, the immune system uh, antibodies directed against self, if they're properly supported, 
are cleaning up the damaged tissue, remedying the problem. And uh, people have demonstrated that uh, you, where you have the so-called autoimmune antithyroid, antiglobulin, uh, uh, antiperoxidase en enzymes specific to the thyroid, if they supplement enough thyroid to lower the TSH, you stop producing the antibodies and the antibodies when they finish cleaning up the damaged tissue will gradually fade away take several months of keeping the TSH low but uh, there have been several publications uh, demonstrating that, that uh, uh, the condition corrects itself after several months mm -hmm. wow man that's pretty trippy Oh, it's such a... Uh, that applies to things like rheumatoid arthritis mm -hmm. and several other types of so-called autoimmune mm -hmm. conditions. Uh, let's see. This is from Wendy. Wondering if Dr. Pete knows anything about, oh, the pearlsium powder that we we promote. It's made from just pearls. If he thinks that would be a good source for calcium. Do you know anything about that product? Made from what? Pearls. Pearls. Uh, uh, calcium carbonate, I think, is is the best supplement. Cal calcium carbonate, Cal uh, yeah, and eggshells and oyster shells, are, and uh, uh, other other sea creatures shells. But you don't uh, have any experience with the pearl itself. Pearl, you yeah, say? yeah, pearl, uh, yeah, pearl. Uh, no, 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 you don't. Yeah. Chinese medicine and Ayurveda uses pearl for different things, and that's what uh, she, she was yeah, asking. Th they're they're made of calcium carbonate. Yeah. Uh, oh, they are. Mar oh, good. So that's a good source then. Yeah. Good. Uh, another question. Well, I'm glad to hear. Um, we thought so. Would calcium? Another source of calcium would be in fish bones. She's asking. I used to eat sardines with fish bones. Uh, they seem digestible, but now with avoiding poofers. Would the bones from cod or some other source be good as calcium source for those with sensitive guts? Um, it is a calcium source that is, is okay, but the trouble is that it, it is calcium phosphate. And oh. uh, it, uh, phosphate has uh, an excitatory effect, and uh, most people are overloading on phosphates, uh, and so the, the bones will... Uh, move in the right direction, but if you're still eating a lot of meat, uh, 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 meat and uh, grains and legumes, for example, are, are overloading you with phosphate, and so calcium phosphate helps, but it isn't uh, as effective as as calcium carbonate or uh, the carbonate. You like the carbonate, yeah. Yeah. I love the show. Writes Cody. She's in Florida. Well, thanks, Cody. I'm interested to know, ask, oh, would you ask Dr. Pete how long he sleeps each night? And do you sleep uninterrupted sleep? She's asking you about your sleep. Um, it, it depends on uh, how good the weather is, hmm. how good my food was, hmm. uh, and so on. But uh, seven and a half to nine hours, it, it's variable. Uh, usually, uh, I uh, wake up uh, during the night and have some milk and sugar or mm. orange juice mm -hmm. uh, to uh, lower the stress. H having milk at bedtime uh, 
will lower several of the stress hormones. Yeah. So I, I've got in the habit of, uh, uh, if I wake up in the night having uh, some sugar and milk or, or orange juice and milk, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that, that resets the, the hormones uh, so that you don't experience uh, the same amount of uh, uh, stress around dawn. Yeah, what fun. So you put, uh, say if you would have milk in the middle of the night when you wake up, would you put actual sugar in there or honey or maple syrup? What would you use? Uh, pure white sugar is the safest. Be- <laughs> really? <laughs> See, don't figure. <laughs> pure white sugar from Hawaii, right? That kind uh, of Why is that yeah. the safest over, you would well, think honey or maple syrup is a more better choice, no? Honey, honey is very good, but if the bees happen to eat something you're allergic to, oh. uh, you can mm-hmm. have a, an allergic reaction to the the, the plant substance mm-hmm. that gets into the honey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, maple sugar is extremely nutritious for minerals, but uh, the heating process uh, makes the sugar allergenic. Oh. I didn't know they heat it, Doctor. I thought they just kind of dump it out of the the old tree. It, it, no? It, it comes out in a, a very liquid, uh, slightly uh, amber uh, color, but a very pale, thin liquid, mm-hmm. and it has to be uh, evaporated. And uh, they they use heat to evaporate it. Theoretically, you could do it at, at room temperature uh, with a high vacuum, but it's economical to heat it. Uh-huh. And the heating process, uh, there are small amounts of amino acids uh, in the juice uh, as well as minerals and when you heat uh, glucose uh, with an amino acid it it produces a toxic reactant. So your go-to is CNH sugar, pure cane sugar from Hawaii? Um, Well, uh, actually You uh, could probably get an uh, organic one though, can't you? uh, uh, Yeah, you can but it's so well washed uh, uh, you you get uh, 99 and more percent pure sucrose, uh, but uh, I think beet sugar uh, might even be better. Who? Beet sugar is that white? Oh, oh sure, yeah. It, they're they're washed. Uh, they oh. would be brown, mm-hmm. uh, but they wash the molasses away, mm-hmm. uh, and the molasses uh, is brown uh, partly because of the heat process reacting amino acids. Uh, with the glucose making a brown substance that is uh, uh, it, it is similar to the substance that's produced in aging, hmm. reacting glucose with amino acids. But isn't, have I read or did I dream this, that a lot of the beets are genetically modified now and you want to do organic? or? Uh, oh, probably, yeah. but uh, uh, you, you hopefully aren't getting uh, any proteins. The proteins are the allergenic toxic form and that's what genetic modification does is make new kinds new proteins. of proteins right. which, which are toxic and allergenic and mm-hmm. um, here's one I know that Dr. Peters recommended raw carrots cooked mushrooms bamboo shoots for the antibiotic properties but that our gut bacteria can get used to these is just alterna- alternating with those enough or should one supplement doses of antibiotics. Whoa. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, if, if you're having a, a problem w- 
with hormone imbalance and stress mm-hmm. uh, at a fertility clinic uh, about 35 years ago uh, they discovered uh, they had the theory that inf- infertility might be caused by germs and so they gave some women uh, uh, antibiotics and uh, didn't do much for their fertility that they saw but a lot of them said that, that uh, their, their PMS and headaches had gone away uh, and so they started measuring their hormones and they found that in fact it had improved their fertility balance by lowering estrogen and cortisol and increasing their progesterone uh, and uh, that wasn't just a fertility clinic in humans but the people then tested it in animals and a course of antibiotics reliably lowered estrogen and cortisol the stress hormones and increased uh, progesterone Uh, and uh, uh, that's the idea of the fiber when the fiber is working it is binding and eliminating estrogen so it isn't reabsorbed uh, uh, and passed through the liver uh, repeatedly Uh, the fiber eliminates estrogen that lowers the stress so your cortisol goes down and that combination allows your progesterone uh, to be retained properly go figure that's really interesting I sure like Dr. Pete's show thanks for having him on on a previous show Dr. Pete mentioned possibly placing a red light at your bedside with a timer to come on intermittently through the night to eliminate the reduce of stress caused by darkness could you further ask about implementing this idea and if it would be helpful or not. Maybe somebody else mentioned that. I don't know if you said that. Sorry. Um, did you did you talk about that idea of intermittent red light? I, yeah, I, I've tried different things, and it bothered me to have it come on in my face. Uh, and so I made a, a, a paddle or a belt uh, with LEDs uh, and found that uh, uh, putting it on my leg uh, didn't bother me so much uh, and shining red light on your blood anywhere in your body has a de-stressing effect uh, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I have um, uh, not not consistently used that I, I, I think it's adequate to have a chronic uh, daylight uh, con- continuous uh, uh, Incandescent or sunlight during during the daytime is uh, enough to lower your stress. Uh, but I think it is good to have an air ionizer running uh, all the time, especially during the night, because uh, ionized negatively ionized air uh, uh, activates your lungs' ability to lower serotonin hmm. and and lower the stress of night. What's an so, air ionizer? What does it do? I uh, don't know if I know about that. Is it, oh, that's a negative ion generator? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It um, adds electrons to the oxygen, and it creates, uh, in effect, a, a radical, uh, as far as your lung enzymes can tell, it's activated uh, metabolic oxygen uh, more uh, immediately accessible to destroy serotonin as it reaches your lungs mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the lungs are constantly keeping your uh, serotonin in check uh, wh- wh- when a person 
has uh, a digestive problem that wakes them up at night with with various symptoms, mm-hmm. uh, including insomnia. Uh, that irritation of the intestine is putting tremendous amounts of serotonin into your blood, carried on the platelets, uh, uh, depending on your lungs to inactivate it. Uh, and uh, uh, if your estrogen uh, happens to be high, then your your lungs are relatively uh, in inactive in destroying the serotonin. Uh, many things can make your lungs inefficient, uh, leaving the serotonin active, causing insomnia. Boy, what do you do in a case like that in the middle of the night? What would be the any kind of symptomatic relief? Um, uh, milk and sugar. Milk and uh, sugar, uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Good old milk and sugar. Last month, uh, Sue, uh, she's in Canada, she talked about how Oh, Dr. Pete talked about how protein powders, except for gelatin, contain some toxic amino acids. Please ask Dr. Pete whether hydrolyzed collagen powder is as effective as gelatin powder for protein and whether it has toxic effects. I, I know the, the amino acids, uh, uh, tryptophan, cysteine, and methionine are the ones that are susceptible to uh, toxic oxidation and gelatin just doesn't have those uh, and so you you can pre-digest the, the gelatin into the uh, uh, amino acids uh, uh, hydrolyzed gelatin mm-hmm. is uh, short peptides and, and some free amino acids uh, and those uh, uh, as, as far as I know uh, they're easy to digest and uh, are no more problem than natural gelatin. So you you like the the, the the Great Lakes gelatin and those kind of products as your as your as protein powders go. You like those the best, is that? You say, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or or making your own gelatin with chicken back yeah. and wings and mm-hmm. eggs mm-hmm. and feet. Yeah, we've been doing it with the feet in a crock pot, and boy, shoo, man, is there a lot of gelatin in there? Holy cow! Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, you put that in the fridge, and it's just solid, just like solid as a rock. Yeah, yeah, that that's very good protective nutrition. Uh, an adult can uh, use a, a very high proportion of their protein as gelatin. Uh, a growing kid uh, needs some of those potentially toxic uh, amino acids, uh, tryptophan and, and cysteine. Are, are needed for growth, but once you, you have achieved uh, full growth, uh, all they're needed for is things like the turnover of cells. Uh, renewal is running at a, a lower rate than expansion mm-hmm. of volume. Mm-hmm. I should mention that uh, uh, a fellow, Tony, has put together a really nice little array of these red uh, incandescent l- lights, uh, the chicken lamps, there's five of them, and they're on a board with a little switch, and it's in our store, very well built, and you can just probably set this guy on the somewhere in your living room, I guess at night or wherever you stay, and just shine the red light on you, and it, it'd be beneficial, wouldn't it, Dr. Pete? It doesn't have to be all that close to you? I, I don't know, uh, and it penetrates very well, uh, the red light. If you've looked at uh, your hand against the sun you can see mm-hmm. a, a red light coming through that's because red light 
penetrates very well uh, and the blue and green light is absorbed uh, superficially mm-hmm. so uh, relatively weak red light will will penetrate your tissues mm-hmm. so the length uh, the, the distance between these lights is not critical uh, uh, no the, mm-hmm. the brighter the, the quicker it works though sure 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 these guys get pretty hot so I guess you have to gauge that of how warm you want to be yeah. yeah in the winter though I mean just keep warm my boy how important is an optimal thyroid function to consider, writes an emailer, for stomach acid production due to the high concentration of mitochondria in parallel cells where stomach acid is produced? Uh, thyroid makes uh, carbon dioxide, and the carbon dioxide is flowing in proportion to your metabolic activity. It's the oxidizing function governed by thyroid that uh, creates the stomach acid. Hmm. So you start with carbonic acid and uh, use that to energize the production of hydrochloric acid. So low thyroid would often be mm, correlated Uh, with low stomach acid? uh, Yeah, uh, Hmm. slow digestion. All of the Mm -hmm. uh, digestive processes tend to slow down, but Mm -hmm. uh, gastroparesis is supposedly a mysterious condition uh, that is usually immediately remedied by the thyroid supplement. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. goodness. Well, let's see. It's time to go here. Let's see. Let's do a couple more, then we'll let you go. Um... Oh, there was one here I thought was interesting. <laughs> Many Catholic monks somehow live past 100 where nothing but bread and water. Do you think their lack of movement may have conserved their carbon dioxide? That's a great question. Um, uh, yeah, the, the, the church, uh, both the Orthodox Church in in the Caucasus region mm-hmm. uh, and the Catholic Church in South America, for example, uh, they've been keeping uh, marriage, birth, and death records for hundreds of years, uh, and they've documented lots of people uh, living 130, 150 years and more uh, in these areas. Uh, in England, uh, uh, the, the uh, they, they keep pretty good records going back several hundred years, and uh, they have the record. Uh, one old guy, old Parr, they called him, hmm. uh, lived into his 150s, uh, according to good documents. And he was uh, taken to visit the king because he was hmm. uh, 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 such such a. a, a uh, an exceptional person. Uh, they he, he died shortly after visiting the king and <laughs> changing his diet. Uh, he said he had uh, habitually eaten uh, uh, cheese and bread crusts, <laughs> uh, very very cheap, uh, minimal uh, diet. But he he died after uh, having some 
have banquets with the king. Oh, because they eat all this rich food the kings eat. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> and an autopsy found that there was no disease in his body in wow. his 150s. And uh, in uh, Abkhazia, in the Caucasus, mm-hmm. and Vilcabamba, uh, in the Andes, mm-hmm. uh, there are well documented uh, m- multiple cases of people in their 140s and 50s and older. And what uh, kind of diets did they get to 140? Uh, uh, very simple diets, mm-hmm. uh, and those are high altitude ah. areas where, where they have both uh, sheep, uh, uh, goats, and, and, and cows, mm-hmm. uh, and so they eat. Uh, Good proportion of milk and cheese in their diet, uh, as as well as uh, uh, having the high altitude uh, uh, environment that spares their carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, the the uh, the uh, monks uh, monks and priests uh, have uh, usually a very very simple uh, uh, routine diet. Uh, uh, I, I think sometimes they uh, might fall into just the right balance of nutrients. Not not too much meat, for example. Uh, meat is a very pro-aging thing because of the low calcium, high phosphate content. Uh, I, I think the, the high phosphate is uh, probably one of the life-shortening uh, things. Oh, that. there we are with the phosphate again. You don't generally think, or maybe I don't, I'm just not thinking properly about uh, bread as being nutritious, but I guess it depends on the the original grain and how it's made and everything. Um, A a little Mm. bit, yeah. If if it's made traditionally, uh, letting the yeast rise gradually, uh, keeping the grain moist, uh, the grain thinks it's sprouting Mm. when you let it. Uh, leaven naturally. Uh, the, the moisture activates enzymes that break down the gluten uh, and reduce the toxicity and make it more digestible. So uh, it's a reliable, simple carbohydrate source, uh, and the, uh, uh, it does provide uh, the trace minerals. Uh, and uh, if they have cheese or milk to balance that, the, the calcium becomes uh, the predominant mineral, which I think has uh, an anti-stress, life-prolonging effect. Well, that's kind of fun. You could just live on toasted cheese sandwiches and milk, you know. It'd be kind of kind of cool. <laughs> okay, finally, uh, what's your take? I don't know if we've ever asked you about this, about the whole gluten thing. Give us your, uh, to kind of wrap up your opinion on what's going on with this gluten sensitivity, where how it began and stuff. Um. Uh, partly the uh, uh, seeds and grains have their plant defense systems. Leaves uh, leaves contain insecticides and flavor uh, irritants that discourage grazing uh, from uh, cows and insects and worms and such. Uh, and the seeds are very important for the plant survival, just like the leaves, uh, the, the, the worst toxins tend to be put in the seeds uh, to block digestion and cause uh, as much trouble for the uh, predator 
uh, of the plant as possible. Uh, and uh, polyunsaturated fats are able to inhibit uh, digestion if they're an oily seed. And the, uh, the gluten, high gluten seed, the gluten itself is able to block digestive processes and cause inflammation. Uh, uh, there are parts of the gluten molecule uh, that have have similar effects to estrogen uh, for uh, creating allergic reactions in the intestine, uh, inflammatory reactions. Uh, and uh, if if you let the enzymes uh, activate the seed so that, as far as it knows, it has succeeded in becoming a plant, uh, then uh, the intense toxins of the seed have been inactivated and you have have the stem chemicals which are much much less toxic than either the mature leaf or the seed so leavened bread is detoxified basically when it's soaked for about 12 hours in moisture Hmm. So, so is a gluten sensitivity? It's a real thing. Uh, yeah, it, it's an objective hmm. thing that uh, if your uh, immune system is very active and stable, mm-hmm. uh, you, you you can uh, adapt to it and uh, uh, pass it pass it along quickly enough without damage. Yeah. Have you had an experience with some of this real ancient uh, wheat, einkorn, the real deal? Have you ever experienced any of that? Um, if, they aren't, if they aren't leavened, uh, the smaller uh, seeds have some of the more intense toxins. Same with small mm-hmm. beans. Uh, the embryo is a larger part, uh, and the storage protein is smaller. But uh, there are some very intense allergens in the smaller, more primitive seeds. Really? Uh, so it, it's still important to m- make sure they're well leavened. To oh, leaven! So the leavening, the yeast, uh, and the sourdough um, make it make it uh, nicer for us. Uh, yeah, less oh. allergenic. Oh, less, less allergenic. Yeah, yeah. So if you were going to do some sprouts, do you do, do sprouts at all? Do you make your own sprouts at all? Not for many years. Mm-hmm. If you were going to do some, somebody wants to know what would be your, your favorites to do, the most uh, digestible is what they're asking, George. Oh, uh, they're all uh, vastly more digestible uh, than the seeds, but mm-hmm. they should be cooked uh, to to improve their digestibility. They should be well cooked. Oh, you cook sprouts as well? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, the, the, the Chinese... Uh, mm, sure, uh, yeah. The, the uh, either a bean or a grain, uh, if it's fully sprouted, uh, develops at least twice as much uh, protein value as was in the bean or the grain itself. Right. Yeah. So you're you're getting an actual uh, protein supplement when you're sprouting. Yeah, you can. We used to do like black beans and other beans, aduki beans and. You can sprout those guys uh, just on a wet towel, right? And you can see a little tail come out, and then mm-hmm. and then you can cook them. So it really it really uh, zoops up the 
soups up the protein, huh? At, at, at the same time that it's reducing the allergenicity and toxicity. Wow. And we can pretty, you can pretty much sprout any kind of bean, can't you, Doc? And you soak them first and sprout them? Uh, uh, yeah, if they haven't been sterilized, which uh, <laughs> right. some some products in the U.S. supermarkets have been yeah. ir- irradiated or heated or mm. chemically treated. Yeah. Do you know if they can irradiate organic? Do we know if if that's a protection being organic? Do we? Do you know? I haven't heard what the latest standards are, but yeah. they're pushing in that direction. Are they? Yeah. Well, Doc, so so it's such an honor to have you on, and people love you, and you're just one of our most popular uh, podcasts around here. You get a lot of hits, so thank you for that. Uh, final question before you go: What are you are you um, focused on anything in particular, research wise that? Maybe we'll talk about next month or anything that's really uh, have your has your interest. Um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, tr- trying to put together uh, a more uh, a systematic picture of uh, how serotonin uh, fits into stress and aging. Uh, uh, the um, it, it probably is a, a, a point where. Intervention to um, re- reduce sickness, uh, uh, autoimmunity, hmm. uh, and age-related degenerative conditions. I, I think uh, uh, aiming towards uh, lowering serotonin is g- going to be one of the most productive uh, things. Uh, I-, I see uh, uh, re- research moving in that direction, contrary to the the, the uh, powers uh, of the pharmaceutical industry, which want to mm-hmm. uh, still say uh, serotonin is wonderful stuff, and you should buy our, <laughs> our antidepressants. But uh, uh, there, there are uh, alternative antidepressants uh, being demonstrated to be uh, safer at, while lowering serotonin uh, and uh, promoting health. Uh, rather than uh, degrading health. So that's the research you're working. Just off the top, do do we? Did I ask you? Sorry if I if I did some natural ways to lower the serotonin. Did we did we talk about that? Uh, uh, hmm. Yeah, we, we've already uh, covered a lot of them. Uh, thyroid, vitamin D. Oh, that's right. Calcium, <laughs> sugar, uh, and the things in. Uh, orange juice. Uh, oh, good! All, all our those. favorite things, yeah. Calcium yeah. and orange juice, vitamin D, and yeah. Good. Well, Doctor P, thanks for being here, and we'll we'll see you in about a month or so, and maybe we'll have more to talk about serotonin. Doctor Pete's website is raypeat.com, and we'll have a link to that, and also write to a, a place where you can sign up for a for a. Uh, it's at every other month. Uh, uh, how much does your uh, does your little uh, $28 by email. 28 for, for how long? Uh, two years. That's great. 12, 12 issues. Good for you. 20, oh, so every other month you get 12 issues for $28. Yep. Good job. All right, Dr. Pete, uh, thank you uh, for being here. We'll see you real soon, okay? Okay, thank you. Yes, Bye. sir. Bye-bye.